Hello there, I'm Miranda Gretton and this is Take a Moment with NCHC, the show where we talk to you and your colleagues about experiences that affect you. Listen on your drive between patients or in your downtime, whenever you get the chance to take a moment. In this episode, I talk to Joanne Green, Senior Coordinator for the Out of Hours team, about how they triage and the difference the Ageing Well programme has brought to the emergency response teams. Hello, my name's Joe Green. I'm a senior coordinator for the Out of Hours team, which is based centrally in Norwich, which outreaches to North PCN, to South PCN, and to obviously Central Norwich. Um, We have teams in the West as well. We have one team of uh, a nurse and a driver in the West, and we also have a team in the East. And since Ageing Well, we've amalgamated with all of these teams and we have a central coordination Um, with a triage team from Norwich, which is where I sit most nights. I've heard ageing well, uh, the term, alongside another term, urgent community response. Are they one and the same? Could you tell us a bit more about it? Well, ageing well was obviously part of the long-term plan. And one of the things was to try and keep people out of hospital. Within our area, we have a very large ageing population. And therefore, you know, as you grow older, there's more needs and there's more things that can go wrong. And I think Ageing Well has incorporated the ability to prioritise and support these people to stay at home. It enables us to work much more effectively using technology, um, maintain patient flow through the system. The emergency response is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and the out-of-hours team is only just one part of that. We hear the, the description of Ageing Well and urgent community response, and it makes sense kind of on paper. To put it really simply, this programme has meant that we can prioritise something, you know, really urgent by triaging and working to particular time windows that helps that patient to stay at home and stops them from going into hospital. That's the bottom line, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and, you know, that happens on a nightly basis that we're reducing the hospital admissions. Other services like the ambulance service are under so much pressure at the moment, they can't possibly always get there that quickly, as quickly as we'd like them or the patient would like us to. So it's really ramped up for us that we need to do absolutely our best to try and keep people well and out of hospital. With triage, you would have prioritised the call pre-ageing well. So what what's the difference? What, what does ageing well mean to the prioritisation that you didn't already have? No one was counting, whereas now there's that expectation that you're going to meet it. You know, how they would do it before ageing well was they would be in their cars visiting and triaging, which is really difficult. So this has been profound difference to have a triager and a a person actually coordinating, looking at the logistics around who can do what and where is the best place. The ageing well process, what we have to do is then incorporate that into the process and what we were doing so that we could respond to that two-hour window and to successfully triage appropriately and keep patients safe when we put them under the umbrella of the the um, four-hour or 24-hour window. And um, so there's a triage team that comes in at half past five and they're starting that process so that we make sure that by six o'clock when our nurses come in that they're ready to go and they've got visits to be seen straight away. It's a very efficient service in the fact that it makes sure it's got all its proper equipment in place, got bladder scanners charged, we've got observation kits, all the equipment we could possibly need overnight for any eventuality is checked and dated and is there. 
and that, that's that's really good. So the processes that we have in place to make sure that we can be efficient are there as much as possible. And we've got the um, the triage process had to be altered slightly so that we could fit that into um, the Age and Well programme. So we actually looked at mapping the process out. So we would incorporate times on ledgers and order of priority on ledgers so that the, the nurses very quickly knew who needed to be seen quickest and first. They knew when the times were breaching and how they would prioritise themselves. And armed with as much information as possible from that triage encounter, we need to be more effective with our time and how we get to patients, which is really important. So we have Webfleet, which is a satellite navigation system, which will make sure that, that we've actually pinpointed to the door of that patient. Uh, we also know by looking very easily where our nurses are and we will try to utilise them very logistically because in that way we, we respond quicker. So it's not about how many patients that nurse sees, it's about where they are and how quickly they can get there. Obviously, there's times where you have to pull somebody else in to support them, but if we can keep all of the areas across Norfolk, Suffolk and Waveney covered, then we've got a much more um, effective service. You're right. And I think that word process, it just quite a lot of the time when you're dealing with people and high emotion in the middle of the night, sometimes processes, it's not the, what you want to be talking about. You know, the way a clinician's mind works is I need to get out and deliver that care come hell or high water, whether it's at my own risk or not, I'm going to get out there and deliver that. So someone has to be there providing those processes to keep everybody safe, not just the patients, but the staff as well. When you've only got two hours, every step of the process counts. As being efficient, you know, making sure that those cars are booked out to the drivers and the nurses, the boxes are ready to go and they can get out the door. I mean, I, I want everyone out the door at 10 past. As soon as they start work in the car, off they go. So pre-aging well, it could have been that, you know, the, the call was being tri was triaged, then they would have packed their, their bag and put the things in the car. And whereas now you've incorporated that as part of the process to meet that criteria. Yeah, as, and I think also, you know, having the process in place to make sure that everything's ready to go through that the night before, looking at what tomorrow brings with the staffing, with with everything is, is vital, you know, and, and to make sure that we've the best technology that is going to enable that. So we've some it works sometimes and not always with Webfleet, pinpointing people to the right address. But what I'm selling now to everyone is if you go through that finite process of getting people every time to that front door, we're just saving time. It all adds up, doesn't it? It's, you know, it might seem like a small thing to get someone to the front door without having to drive around the area for 10 minutes, but that's 10 minutes in a two-hour yeah. window. Every second of that two hours counts. Yeah, it really does. It sounds like a fantastic service. I mean, I can imagine it's what patients want to be at home, to stay out of hospital. Why is the Aging Well programme particularly important, not just for patients, but also carers and particularly in Norfolk and Waveney? For carers, especially at night, it's a really worrying time. And uh, if someone's really ill, now that could be within our out-of-hour service, a majority of referrals around catheter care and around end of life. Maybe you, you could be a carer that's there 24 hours a day. You could be a carer there that has limited knowledge. You could be a carer that is not paid, but a relative. And they are in a position where they're having to 
input into that patient's care into their loved one's care and that makes a huge difference as well the fact that it's a loved one you know that it's a really frightening experience if someone's in pain through the night that just is exacerbates and I think you know to respond quickly what you can do is you can then reduce some of their anxiety and some of their concerns and worry you know, being that clinician that can offer advice and onward referral as required overnight is really important. And I think within the out of hours team, we've really grasped that need to be integrated so that we're referring that knowledge on to GPs, onto the day service so that they can have an understanding of what's happening at night. And, you know, carers need that support and they need to be listened to and they need to be referred on to other services that may take up some of the the stress throughout the day and we've got all of that knowledge base and we've got the ability to refer very quickly. I think if it's a family member I, I mean I wonder whether that can cloud your judgment a little bit especially in the middle of the night and you think you know what to do as their carer but then something goes slightly wrong so to have that reassurance that somebody who does know what to do is coming it's that reassurance isn't it? Definitely and I think even through triage this can be done so well you're doing your telephone triage and you're risk assessing what the problem is. You're seeing how they can, how we can help. You're seeing what needs to happen and what the risk is if we don't visit. So that's that's constantly on your mind. And if it's something that can be resolved over the telephone, that's great. But you still need to let them know that you're there. So it's really important. And I listen to all of my colleagues on the telephone giving that reassurance and saying, look, we're here all night and we'll be by the phone. And if you need us, we're here. And I think that's a huge part of it. What we tend to do as well is we'll hold these patients on our caseload overnight. They are our responsibility. We'll hold them and we'll call them back if we need to. And we'll keep giving that reassurance until they're able to rest or go to sleep. You know, you just don't know what's coming in at night. You just, it's all age groups. It's all problems. It's, and it's, it's really empowering to be able to to respond quickly and when they need it you know it's a really good feeling to know that you've got someone through the night. So what kind of patients do you typically see then in out of hours? We're seeing more um, end of life as they're discharged from the acute unit more quickly because um, obviously there's that need and demand on the beds and also it's patient choice which is really important and most people let's face it want to die at home don't they so Often it's very late in the afternoon that they come out and then that's when we're going out to see them, relying on that good communication around when, when is good to use end of life drugs with them before they come out and making sure they've got all their equipment in place, which usually nine times out of 10 happens from the acute unit that is in place beautifully. You know, we, we're going in a lot to give um, assessment of pain relief, nausea, vomiting, agitation, more people are deciding with the respect form that they don't want to go into hospital anymore, that they'd rather stay at home and be treated in a palliative way at home. And we're seeing more of that come in. Also, block catheters is another one constantly. You know, the long term plan is the fact that we need to get much better with our technology and ageing well has enhanced that with, you know, extra funding for bladder scanners. It's really increasing and reducing that risk of hospital admission because we're really on the ball you know having more staff to be able to be very effective in our decision making on whether or not we visit a patient in what order and what priority according to need and and aging well with the extra funding has done that which is is incredible 
That sounds amazing. I mean, that, that's the dream, isn't it, for a triage team to be able to triage, know the priorities and to prioritise effectively. But if you're a patient, surely every issue you're having is an emergency to you. So when that call comes in and they're saying this is you know, life and death, how, how do you, how can you prioritise those calls? Well, it's, it's very simple because as you're going through the triage process, you just never know what's coming in. So there's always someone being bounced back, maybe, so that you can get to that visit quicker. Um, that's very difficult conversations. You have to be really skillful in how you actually talk to, to that person. So, you know, throughout the triage process, what I will say to that person is I will be honest about the time frame that I will be allocating that visit and I will give them a rationale for it. I will also say to them, you know, we're going to put this as a priority visit. So it's going to be within two hours. Invariably, we get there a lot quicker but it's giving them a realistic idea of what the time frame is going to be, because I think to be realistic and honest, they can take that very well and they understand what other commitments there may be. So if somebody tells me they're not in pain and their catheter's blocked, I will be saying to them, OK, so I'm going to pop that under a four hour window, but we will probably see you before then. But we're prioritising those in pain at the moment. If anything changes, call me back. And that's, you know, I think it's it's that dialogue you use of reassuring them that we are coming, we are coming to them and we will get there as soon as we can. It's all you could do, isn't it? Be realistic and transparent so that they know what's going on and constant communication. And um, I'm interested to know, though, how is it how is it going? Are you are you hitting those targets? Because two hours doesn't sound like very long. No, we are hitting the targets really well. I think sometimes we do have problems if um, uh, the day service have um, had problems with their reaching their two hour targets and that that is categorically a priority of ours to actually meet those as soon as they come on. So there will be some breaches initially because they would have breached sometimes or near to breaching when they reach us at half past five. But in saying that they have then become top priority and that's the beauty of of ageing well and knowing the length of time the breach um, and what is what should be seen first. Usually we're meeting all our targets within our out of hours um, service time frame, which is really good. There are problems in the morning and which I know that the trust are working really hard to resolve. And we've put in place some changes to be able to make this better is it's that handover period in the morning when the two teams, one finishes at eight and one starts at eight. And there's sometimes a problem with the overlap. So we're trialling in um, Central where we actually just those patients that may have been we've not been able to see in the last hour are put straight onto a ledger so that they can be picked up and visited straight away. You mentioned Webfleet and I, I mean, obviously we live in Norfolk. I mean, it's vast, you know, Norfolk and Waverley, this vast area with all these dark back roads that people have to travel down and not very much phone signal and we know the challenges that Norfolk presents I mean you've got Webfleet as you said which sounds great but what other particular challenges do you face in order to try and hit those targets? It can be roadworks I mean they're terrible at the moment there's roadworks absolutely everywhere getting back in touch with the patient can sometimes be difficult so in triage even before you've got on the road sometimes when you're trying to call them back about their referral they don't answer the telephone and sometimes they can't hear you on the telephone which is really difficult so there's some of the issues that slow it down weather is a big one you don't want to push staff too quickly you don't want to make them drive too fast you don't want to put them under too much pressure so I think it's you know if you're going to breach because it's not safe you know that's that's a shame but that will happen in the climate 
but no most mostly with Webfleet we get there we get straight to the door but it's sometimes how people answer or whether you can get in which is um, sometimes a, a problem but we all we're all geared up with our torches and the drivers support us really well and um, we're actually trying to change that slightly in the fact that we'd like to have a more sort of nurse driver with skills around being an HCA which would be really fantastic because you can see how the future could possibly move forward you know if we could respond to people who had fallen but yes we're hitting most of our two hours unless it's a very extreme day where there's been problems and lots handed over and then it's just reprioritizing yet again. Absolutely and a lot of that will be out of your control like you said you know with various different factors so it's not always that you know you haven't been able to get out for for obvious reasons I think it's it's a real spotlight on the triage teams whether they're day day or night triage teams it's obviously you have to be ridiculously skilled to be able to assess somebody's need as it comes through when as we said you know it will be an emergency to that person because it's the most important thing that's happening to them right in that moment so for the triage person to be able to say let's talk it through let's be very open and, and honest and see what's really going on and then let's assess that priority and prioritise it correctly. That's a huge set of skills that is, is actually beyond clinical, you know. So to yeah. have all those skills and to be able to do that so effectively and still meet those timeframes, I think is absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's a real skill, I think. I really do think there's, as you say, there's so many skills around that. You know, it's that ability to be able to really listen to people over the phone, really listening to what they're saying. And you can get a level of understanding of where they are, not only that whoever they're ringing about but themselves and and what what they need emotionally or not just physically from us what you know you you hear some really distressing calls you you really push to your limits sometimes I mean I had um I'd been on the eight o'clock shift um I was coordinating from half past five in the morning so I was taking over triage at that point and that's that gets really difficult at that point because you obviously have less resource at that point um, East Coast, who we cover, which is Great Yarmouth and Lower Stoft up to Southwold, they finish at 7am. And so if you get a call in at half past six, sometimes they can't get there. And we had the most distressing call at 6.30, which was someone who was dying and then had a massive hematemesis. So they had a massive bleed. And this was new. This was not expected. Um, and there was an 86-year-old man on his own at home. And I could hear him. I could hear him on the phone. So he was on a mobile to the ambulance and he was on the landline to me. And he couldn't answer the questions. He was so, so absolutely beside himself with worry and anxiety and grief and all sorts of things. And all I could do was I, I got as much information once he'd, he was talking to the ambulance service and holding the phone to me to be able to think, well, if the ambulance can't get there, I'm going to get the nurse who starts at seven o'clock to go straight there. And so that was, you know, a task through to Eck, a telephone call to make sure that every avenue was covered to get someone to go out there because it was either going to be support for him. Well, it was definitely going to be support for him. It was either going to be a stat dose for that lady or a verification, one or the other. And it was just getting somebody there. And I know that that patient was visited soon after seven o'clock. So, you know, it's it it does get really tricky and it is, you know, it is sometimes very 
difficult, but it's those key communication skills over the telephone, which are really vital and that understanding of what is needed and just chucking everything at it sometimes. And the teamwork as well. I mean, you know, to come out of something like that, you can't just put the phone down and pick up the call to the next person. You're going to have to speak to your colleagues. You're going to have to find it within yourself to get back up and do the job again. And that must mentally take its toll on everybody. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes we, you know, in the middle of the night, people are just even more vulnerable, aren't they? Or in the early hours, they just, they probably haven't had any sleep sometimes. Some people are ringing earlier, but it's just... Yeah, it's just that kindness, compassion and empathy and, and effectiveness and all of those things that are in our, in our trust vision, which I believe, you know, we all believe in, which is to keep people in their own homes as much as they can. I mean, an admission to the acute unit just absolutely is not great for someone who's ageing. It just isn't. Especially as we're still feeling the effects of a pandemic. The last thing we want to do is be posting people back into hospital. Definitely. Aging well, you know, is about prioritisation. It's about ensuring as clinicians that we can understand the situation that individual patients are in and utilising that fast response and to, you know, think out of the box when it comes to how you process things within your service and how you communicate effectively and how can you always improve upon it because getting to people quicker means that they do stay well and they do stay out of hospital. Thank you for listening to Take a Moment with NCHC. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please visit the podcast intranet page to leave a comment and for details of our other episodes. You can also follow NCHC on all social media channels.